Welcome to Thriller Premium. Welcome to Thriller Premium. Research, reporting, industry analysis, information, and tokenomics. Welcome to Thriller Insights. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from around the world, thank you so much for listening to another exciting episode of Thriller Insights. Today is July 20th, 2019, and I'm recording this late on purpose. Seriously. There was a lot of uh, stuff brewing this week. We had uh, Facebook, congressional hearings. Uh, that was a big part of the talk earlier this week. Uh, we also have uh, BACT coming up here on Monday. They're going to launch their testing phase. That's going to be a big part or a big part of next week's news. Um, so my whole point in doing this late is to give you that information and give you that key insight into what's going on. First off, I want to start off by telling you the truth in this in the space and, and, and what's really going on. I'm becoming more aware now as we get closer to this big institutional phase here in the third and fourth quarter of this year. A lot of the information out there is getting, I wouldn't say, you know, getting hidden or anything. It's just getting sequestered. Like there's there's a lot of stuff that's happening that's taking place in New York right now that's just not being made public. I don't know if that's for uh, just for obvious reasons. Maybe there's some kind of, um, uh, you know, um, a contract that, that that stipulates that they can't talk about this stuff beforehand. I don't know if it's because um, they're trying to you know keep retail investors away from knowing about this stuff beforehand. Um, I'm not sure what it is, but it's it's becoming more apparent as this year goes on. I'm realizing that um, in getting this information, I'm having to dig and dig and dig and find stuff that's not out there being talked about on CoinDesk, not out there being talked about on the block crypto, not out there being talked about uh, just on your random crypto news site, and not out there being talked about or actually even being uploaded to YouTube. Um, a lot of this stuff is is being um, uh, just kind of hidden or buried in, in, in a blog post somewhere on a random um you know, a uh, fund managing site, right? So I want to let you know that, right? And I want to say another thing, a, lo a lot, of, a very key resource uh, in this space right now is crypto Twitter. And I'm not talking about the crypto Twitter, um, you know, the one that you follow with uh, all the big people in, in, the, in the space, you know, I'm talking about all your Bitcoin maximalists, all your crypto personalities, all that stuff. I'm not talking about those type of people. I'm talking about the people that are actually making the moves in the space. These are like Ari Paul. These are, these are like uh, Dan Moorhead. These are like, you know, Barry Silver. These are like people that are actually in the space, like making you know, making moves. These are the the future, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's of the world, right? Um, so a lot of the stuff that's that's being talked about is maybe just people aren't paying attention or, or maybe I'm just tuned into where that information's at. But I want to say if you're looking to get even more information, I would say join uh, Twitter, join Twitter and create yourself an account and, and follow these people. I'll put a link into this document that we're going to be talking about today. So 
As you may not have known, uh, BACT is launching on uh, Monday, and it's going to be a test phase, right? Well, this past Thursday on July 18th at the New York Stock Exchange, there was over 150 investors and institutional service providers surrounded uh, and um, there just for BACT and for Kelly Loeffler, the CEO of BACT. And they were there to talk about um, their launch here on July 22nd. And what's what's kind of interesting is you have people that are journalists in this space um, covering this event. But for whatever reason, it wasn't reported on Thursday or Friday. Um, and, and another thing, too, is like, I don't know if it's because they're waiting till Monday to announce all this information that we, we found out. But uh, either way, we're going to move forward. I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on. So, of course, it's expected to launch here on July 22nd. There's a great deal. This is according to a document I was able to obtain uh, <laughs> through uh, through Tor Demeester. Uh, he uploaded this photo and probably sure he wasn't supposed to do this, but we'll take it anyway. You know, this is some good insight. So he says there is a great and this is kind of basically his kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, kind of write up that he did on the whole event, because this event that happened on Thursday, it wasn't uh, it wasn't. I think I only saw one person tweet about it, and that was uh, Gabor Gerbox. He's the um, he works for uh, Vanek. And as you know, they're the ones that are doing the uh, the ETF for Vanek. And so uh, that was the only person I saw talk about that. That was the only reason I was keyed into, whoa, they're doing this and no one's saying anything. It's just weird. Anyways, uh, so so through Tor Demister's uh, photo that he uploaded and, and, and talking about all this stuff, we were able to get some key insights as to what actually is going on or what happened at the event. And he says, we're going to go line by line. It's a two-pager, but uh, bear with me here. Some really good stuff. He says, there's a great deal of institutional anticipation around the planned full launch of the service, custody, compliance, payments, and physically settled daily and monthly futures contracts in partnership with, par- with Parent ICE. As we have written before, back tackles many of the barriers to adoption for traditional investors seeking to expand their mandate to include crypto. Uh, he also says that CFTC Commissioner Don Stump discussed the CFTC's derivatives regulatory and enforcement duty and its role sharing market perspectives with Financial Stability Oversight Council. There isn't a cryptocurrency that could threaten financial stability yet. Uh, also says that the CFTC is seeing growing demand and interest for Bitcoin futures from the public. CFTC is more open to financial innovation because of their rules-based approach to approving products. While they regulate the derivatives, they have jurisdiction on the underlying and work with state attorneys general and federal agencies for fraud and enforcement actions. Uh, Commissioner Stump also said uh, that while they are standard setting at the G7 meetings, it is important to realize that the uh, the thinking and risk appetite of other regulators is more important. On the Libra derivatives, she said they are very long way out and only if the CFTC saw demand for such a product, CFTC expects more tokens and contracts beyond cash settled Bitcoin products. Currently exploring Ethereum products, the lab CFTC initiative helps market participants share info shaping the CFTC's views. And then of course, Ari Paw, CIO of BlockTower, believes that retail adoption will be enormous once a killer app UI makes crypto on-ramp safe, reliable, as easy to use as PayPal. He also thinks institutions should not dismiss crypto too easily with 200 to 300 percent 
and low to no correlation to traditional assets, investors should size their position accordingly rather than avoid crypto. Crypto is here to stay and institutional CIOs who make large crypto gains in their portfolios are not acting responsibly when, when avoiding crypto in their funds. Uh, Paul also discussed how former 10 to 15x Bitcoin cycles progressively attracted regulators, first FBI for criminal activity, then the SEC for Bitcoin security, quotations, question mark, and now the Fed, which is the Federal Reserve, and others are examining systemic risk as crypto becomes more important and relevant to the public. Uh, he also viewed that inflation resistance and confiscation resistance of cryptos as a key value proposition and believes investors should look for an alternative to fiat. He also believes that within a decade, you could see some countries close close their borders to prevent capital flight via crypto by physically not allowing people to leave. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, Dan Moorhead of Pantera Capital said most tokens will fail, leaving single digit surviving base protocols. Although with several thousand decentralized apps built on top of it, exciting progress is happening on solving speed bottlenecks for Bitcoin as well as Ethereum. Use cases are driving innovation in the space. Dan Moorhead also believes that crypto-based microtransactions payments will drive financial inclusion and Bitcoin will continue to be a great store of value. He also sees um, limited partnerships in his fund shift from Wall Street to tech executives towards more institutional money. He sees that miracle whip of finance and are the most asymmetric trade he has ever seen. While it is true that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value, he pointed out that the intrinsic value of a Jackson Pollock painting is about $40 in canvas and paint, yet keeps appreciating in value. Investors at the event are excited about the back launch, and that's according to uh, Tour de Meester talking about what it was like there on Thursday. He says that the notion of physically settled daily and monthly futures contracts uh, there was a wide array of clients, many with deep traditional uh, equity derivatives expertise, including prime brokerage services, prop desks, institutional exchanges, and some of the largest equity HFT shops that are preparing to enter crypto and plan to have an equally large impact. Uh, he says there appears to be a critical mass of adopters ready to come on board on day one of the back launch with the sales team gaining traction among brokers market makers, prop trading desks, and liquidity providers. And the bottom line from all this that he got from Thursday at this uh, backed event, at this backed institutional digital asset summit on July 18th at the New York Stock Exchange, where 150 people were there, <laughs> mostly investors, institutional service providers. He said the bottom line is there is a community of institutional investors and vendors that is readying to port world-class systems from traditional asset classes and markets into the crypto world. The back launch could be a huge accelerator for market growth. Um, so, man, just amazing stuff that we were able to get from there. And, man, it's, it's such a shame that we <laughs> – I know we would never get an invite, but it's such a shame that, you know, this – this there was no video that that came afterwards or no one was you know you know live tweeting the event or anything but i guess as kind of everything moves forward here and you're starting to see you know information kind of get siphoned off and uh, it's requiring more digging and it's requiring more information but um yeah okay so one other one other thing i do want to mention is um institutional investors and the difference between what uh, is currently set up now in this space and what BACT is going to do. And one of the main things that happened here recently, I don't know 
Uh, I don't think I reported it on the latest Thriller Crypto because it had happened afterwards. But um, BitMEX uh, is under investigation by the CFTC. And this is not a surprise, right? So, you know, last month uh, I released a kind of a, a Thriller Insider on the analysis of BACT and um, Eris X. And one of, the, one of the key things that I got away from there was that, um, you know, people... Uh, that were a part of BACT and that were part of Arisex realized that um, the order book and the mansion engine were, were not regulated. But they did recognize that the most valuable order book was BitMEX um, for crypto, right? Be just because it takes up 20 to 30% of the daily notational value. And um, the most liquidity of, the, is in, uh, of Bitcoin is at, at BitMEX. And um, it's just interesting that we knew like BitMEX was a target, <laughs> kind of like how we knew Binance was a target, right? Um, so what happened was the CFTC went after them and they announced just before press time on Friday that, uh, you know, BitMEX would need to be registered with the CFTC to allow Americans to trade such products in the United States. According to its website, BitMEX offers trading of cryptocurrencies with up to 100 times leverage and other products such as futures and swaps. And uh, the CFTC investigation is ongoing and may not lead to misconduct allegations, but they added that CFTC considers cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin commodities and others, um, and they believe they have jurisdiction over derivatives such as futures-based products on crypto, and this would make BitMEX uh, fall into the jurisdiction of the CFTC. Uh, I'm not, a, as you know, I'm not a um, regulator or know how these rules work, um, but uh, we'll see how that turns out. Uh, Bitmex CEO, Arthur Hayes, which is a big, he's a big face in the crypto space. He's a big personality in the space. He has a lot of uh, clout, right? Uh, he said that we will continue to monitor all legal and regulatory developments around the world and will comply with applicable laws and regulations. He said, though, that we reject any allegations of criminality, manipulation, or unfair treatment of our customers who are at the center of everything we do. So that's him kind of chiming in on uh, that CFTC investigation that is currently, quotes, ongoing. Um, so this is all leading me to suspect that um, I wouldn't say it's it's almost it's almost weird how, how life kind of just works in these kind of um, very uh, serendipitous kind of way. Right. You have Facebook drawing the attention of a lot of senators this week and, and kind of uh, putting at the forefront what Bitcoin really is. The conversation went from you know, talking about Libra to talking about Bitcoin very fast, right? And then it's also interesting that you have BitMEX, you know, uh, CFTC uh, talk about uh, BitMEX and, 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 and actually, you know, send this information, send this news through Bloomberg terminals and, and allow all these other people to know that even though BitMEX may have the, the matching or uh, uh, may have all the liquidity and 20 to 30% of the notational value of Bitcoin on a daily basis, their order book and matching engine aren't um, you know, regulated. And it's kind of weird how that got released on a Friday, right? Uh, and then just previously on Thursday, when everybody's looking at Bitcoin and everybody's talking about Bitcoin, on Thursday, you have BACT having their own kind of um, kind of soiree, right? And, and kind of summit where they're talking about BACT and where the future of Bitcoin is going. And then this BitMEX information gets released on Friday. And then today we look at the markets and Bitcoin is at close to 11K. And then we have BACT launching on Monday. Very weird how all this kind of takes place all at once. Um, yeah, 
<laughs> and that's keeping you up to date on what's going on. But I want I want I want to play a clip for you, and this is directly from uh, Crypto Compares Digital Asset Summit that took place in June, where they were talking about Backed, and and some of them in the panel actually disagreed with each other and said that Backed is not going to do anything, uh, or some of them like I don't know if they were just uh, speaking the truth or they were just trying to you know hedge the, what they thought was really going to happen, but not kind of say one one way or another. But um, it was interesting to see them go back and forth. So take a listen as they discuss that. Another subject to do with institutions, which is one of my favorite subjects, backed. Um, so th their whole model is we are waiting for the institutions, we will provide for the institutions, we, we've defined what we mean by that, and we will be ready for them. What are your takes on backed, or rather the philosophy that backed is, is, is putting out there, which is we, we can trade, we can do this for Goldman, we can do this for BlackRock, we can be the venue that they are asking for. I'm Max. skeptical. I'm skeptical Bank want, wants us to trade on the platform, but why would we do that? There's no takers there. There's no interest. It's all, you know, HFTs against HFTs. And, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a recipe for a profitable business model. Um, you know, and when it comes to Goldman Sachs, well, guess what? Um, without saying too much, Goldman Sachs has or had trading relationships with crypto trading firms back at the peak of the bubble because they wanted to get in. So at that time, they were willing to entertain, you know, having OTC relationships with market makers. So the fact that they have a backed wouldn't necessarily make, make a lot of sense to them. Actually, you look at the FX market, Goldman Sachs, I think, as of today, is not trading on LMAX, which is one of the main um, FX exchanges. Why? Because it's too competitive and the HFT firms have taken over. So all the trading that Goldman does is more going to be you know, based on bilateral OTC relationships. Mm -hmm. So having a crypto exchange for Goldman, that's not exactly what they need. So I don't think that BAX is going to be a game changer. Chris? Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I don't think it's not going to be the, it's not the gold, silver bullet. It's not. Melton, uh, American I'm, representative. <laughs> I'm actually excited about it. I mean, look, um, BACT is part of the ICE group. And if there's one thing that ICE knows how to do, it's attract people onto their platform. They're already hooked into many of the largest institutions, investment firms in the world. Um, what I think is exciting is the launch of a physically settled futures product. So as we've seen with um, the US market in particular, the CME has this great um, cash settled futures product. It's been trading at record volumes lately. And I think activity in the futures market is indicative of the development of a more efficient market, right? Uh, more sophisticated derivatives coming to market is good for the asset class overall. It facilitates more trading and volume. It enables people to express sentiment in new ways other than simply going um, so I think it's good. The fact that these have been cash settled, it's really just like gambling on the price of Bitcoin. So the idea that now a regulated institution is actually going to create a physically backed product that's settled in Bitcoin itself, to me, all of the underlying work they had to do to enable that to happen from pricing in the calculation engine, from custody, storage, um, all of the settlement contracts, they're going to start to create and formalize um, a more robust sort of set of standards for how these things get traded and settled. And then I think over time, you know, one of the biggest problems we have, if I want to write an options contract, number one, I have no standard way to price it. I don't have an independent calculation agent that can reprice that contract 
dynamically. Um, that's why BitMEX has so many problems. They're constantly re repricing millions and millions of contracts. I don't have an ISDA equivalent, right? So what happens, for example, if my reference index, which in the case, you know, BitMEX is Bitstamp, something happens and it causes mass liquidation. Like, the, the market is still so informal, and it has been for the last six years that I've been in it. I disagree. So to me, the presence of someone like Fact, it doesn't change it overnight, but it helps to at least start to drive those conversations and more formalization, which I think is helpful, right? That's I can't agree with that. You, you mentioned ISDAS, actually. B2C2 created the first ISDAS in the crypto market something like a year and a half to two years ago. I'm sure Caspian has also, you know, big boy, grown-up uh, legal contracts. I don't think it's necessarily about that. And when you, you talk about options as well, you know, writing OTC options is not something that has dependent on the exchanges, and you don't need a specific calculation agent to, to do that necessarily. Right, I think that this is more around the margin, right? Versus ICE writing an option and logging it in the ICE trade vault. These are two fundamentally different things, and that is no disrespect to our industry, right? That's no disrespect to the 150 companies I've invested okay. in who are focused on just this market. It's a, just a reality of how institutions trade. Quick question then. You have the CBOE. It was actually not exactly a, a, so a physically <laughs> set of future, but the CBOE was based on, a, on, a, on an auction. So essentially, you could physically deliver into the auction and, get, and, and trade, yet they're closing the product because they didn't gather any traction. So I don't think that sort of trying, playing around and trying to Right, to, but to change the structure a little bit at the margin necessarily again change it. It's George, about credibility. Let me, yeah, let yeah. me put a put a <laughs> put a punt on there. It's about credibility. It's about the brand name. It's about recognition. It's the same universal rules that, that drive businesses in retail or institutional space. They know people in the market. Obviously, they have the credibility to to drive business in. It's like you said. It's they they know how to do it. So it's. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing for, for the market because, again, yeah, if we have a benchmark of some kind that has been rubber stamped by whoever it is, but the market itself, it's, it's, it's a good thing to have, yeah. I mean, we are still preempting demand. It is a good thing for the market in hypo hypothetically, but if there's no one knocking at the door, then we've got a great system and no one's using it. What do you mean no one's using it? I mean, it has So, I mean, the whole much. question, I guess the whole point of the panel for me is trying to gauge when demand will come. If we're not talking about if, we're talking about when, as Chris highlighted. So, the, the point I mean, that I, I think th everyone here is pretty busy today, right? Like, yes. you get, yeah, yeah. you have customers. Yeah, we're all, we're all in crypto, though. Clients. None of us are the, I mean, in, in a way, we're trying to work out if, if, even though we think this is going to be a great system, this is backed, I'm talking about. The I mean, maybe you have better insight into the institutions than I do, but are they going to be knocking at the door to use it, even if we think it is fantastic? I think we may sometimes be setting ourselves up for failure by misidentifying the real trends and what we need to put together to, to create a successful industry. So you, again, you look at Coinbase, they thought they needed to hire 30 people in, in, in Chicago to create an HFT matching engine didn't work out. What if we have backed and it's set up to be that perfect system, but actually there's no volume? Right. I, mean, I mean, optically, it's not great, right? Yeah. And so I think that by thinking that uh, always being in that startup mentality, build it and they will come, if they don't come, right. what do we do? Right. We're I, building I, before they've come. Yeah, I mean, I think the brand name is, is good, right? Brand name recognition. I mean, every time Goldman say, oh, we're going to do crypto, the whole crypto world goes bad. <laughs> I question why, though. You know, what is it that they're going to bring to this industry? Price, maybe. Other than potential branding, right? That it gives it a form of credibility with the regulators, with perhaps the bigger funds. But the reality is the crypto needs to evolve using the managers that are here now, using the prop shops that are here now. You know, George's right. The, the HFT shops 
generate a tremendous amount of volume and they, and they do very well out of it. So th there's a long way to go, I think, before you need to have the big brand names involved. I think they'll help, but it's not, it's not going to be a silver bullet. Yeah, in, in back in 2000, end of 2017, uh, I, I remember I was talking to one of the fund administrators, and they had, uh, out of the, the newly registered funds, you, you would see like 30% of them would have blockchain or crypto in it. So that was obviously the result of a, of a hype, right? So that the winter kind of died, uh, died, died all that interest down, but it doesn't mean that this, this is not going to be another, another sort of influx of new hedge funds, which is... Well, most of most of the time, driven by uh, by family offices or high net worth yeah. individuals that want to uh, commercialize their their trading ideas or you know some small firms. So right now, this small and medium kind of uh, enterprises would be driving the uh, uh, the space. But everybody's waiting for the big guys to go in, and that's yeah, that's regulation. That's you know availability of the infrastructure and, and so on and so forth. And you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that uh, one way or another BACT is going to start this next kind of wave up. Uh, but I think this is needed for institutions to have a good foundation of companies uh, that they trust, right? I know they touched on brand and, and just funny how uh, one of the emails I got uh, yesterday while I was at work was about my whole kind of rant about branding <laughs> during coin talk on, on Thriller Crypto. Um, I won't go into it right now, but uh, you know, suffice to say, you know, a person was upset that you know I was talking about how cool Ethereum was and how I kept talking about brand and all this stuff, and um, yeah, I, I get it, I get it. I, I can get a little, uh, you know, um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, um, I don't know, cheerleader-ish about all this stuff, but um, it's weird how, you know, these people on the panels who are managing these, you know, millions of dollars worth of investing are very much recognize uh, that brand is very key, and and it, it more than solidifies, you know, um, kind of a... Uh, uh, just like a, a shared kind of commodity that, uh, you know, cryptos are here to stay. And there's no better person to explain all this than Barry Silbert. He's the CEO of Digital Currency Group, and uh, he gets that too. Yeah, it's complete validation. I think it's a recognition that digital assets are here to stay as an asset class. I think it's a recognition that it's clear that money is going digital. Um, and it's clear that in the future, physical cash is going to go away. And it's, you know, it's also clear based on history that fiat currency tends to not exist into perpetuity. The average life of a fiat currency over the past 500 years is 27 years. So what that means is, on average, in 27 years, a government will destroy their currency or the value of their currency, typically through debasement or through war. And you know, I'm certainly not suggesting that you know Bitcoin is going to displace or replace the U.S. dollar, not going to re replace the euro or the yen anytime soon. But if you look around places like Venezuela and and you know Argentina and and all these countries around the world, um, it's clear that something other than the local fiat currency would have real demand and real appeal. So I think when you see JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs or Facebook or any of these folks, you know, getting involved in kind of creating a digital form of money, it really just kind of points to where things are going in the future, which is non-fiat, distributed, decentralized digital forms of, of money. 
There's been a lot of talk about what's driving the most recent volatility from trade talks with China to, as you mentioned, Facebook's announcement of Libra. What do you chalk it all up to right now? It's a few things. One is, you know, as I mentioned before, if you look at the history of Bitcoin trading, 80% drawdown in price, all-time highs. And so I think once the market got comfortable that the that the lows were in, um, and so what seem it seems to have you know happened in the three thousands, it was really just a matter of when were we going to see the flows coming in, when were we going to see the momentum momentum come back, and you know once you kind of once the price recovered and got back to four thousand five thousand, I think it brought some some excitement, enthusiasm, some money back into the asset class, and then you had the macro events, you know the China trade talks. But I, I think what's going to propel it forward, though, and I think what investors may be looking towards is, number one, in the second half of, of 19, there's going to be launches of some really, really important infrastructure and on-ramps. You know, Fidelity's launching an on-ramp. Um, there's lots of talk about Ameritrade and, and uh, E-Trade launching an on-ramp. The backed effort is going to be really important. And then uh, I think a lot of investors who are um, familiar with Bitcoin also know that in 2020, there's a um, something called a having event, which is essentially every four years built into the code of Bitcoin, the inflation rate drops in half. And, uh, and so what it means is on a you know, daily basis, half the amount of Bitcoin that gets created today will get created a year from now. And that has happened twice before. And each time that that's happened in the past, the price of Bitcoin has gone up something like you know, 500,000 percent afterwards. So really, the question is: Is you know, is it priced into the into Bitcoin? Well, it wasn't previously, and so if it's not priced in, the question is: When is it going to get priced in? And so I think I think that there's definitely some buying happening right now with with investors who see that happening next year. It's, I think it's May May of, of 2020, and are trying to get into Bitcoin before everybody knows about uh, the having. Yeah, and that's one of my main reasons why I've been you know very much bullish, you know, ever since April Bulls run. I, I just I find it really hard to believe that we're going to go back down to the 2000 or 3000 range this year with all of this, um, you know, maximum bull scenarios or scenario happening for us. Just everything's lining up perfect. Um, So we're going to talk about Bitcoin. Uh, We're going to talk about Bitcoin here in the third and fourth quarter of uh, of 2019 and what that means. And uh, yeah, let's do it here. Coin analysis starting now. We're going to talk about Bitcoin here in Coin Analysis, and um, I don't mean to keep hitting, you know, the hammer on the nail every single time, every single week, but uh, I cannot stress enough just how important Bitcoin is going to be here in the very near future, and how come the price of it is going to just going to go well beyond than we anticipated for the start, far from the start of this year. Uh, I think if you would have told me. Uh, at the beginning of the year, where Bitcoin was going to be at, I would have said, you know, maybe we reach ten thousand uh, by the end of the year. The fact that we have been well over that at this point and have crossed it again twice, 
Um, I, I quickly am understanding that, uh, you know, I might have, you know, said that we're going to be at 25, 27 here in the short term before the next halving. I don't know if that's quite accurate anymore. Uh, I feel here now, uh, at least looking at everything and understanding just where this market is headed and seeing the um, over amount of exposure Bitcoin has had up to this point, I'm realizing that we might be well over that 25, 27K projection. Uh, and, and that might, and that might, um, that might scare a lot of you off. <laughs> I, I would say if there's one thing, you know, that you could do is that st- that's dollar cost averaging. Um, you know, I think that goes uh, understated. I know sometimes I'll try to say, you know, make sure to set your stop losses and all that stuff. And that's well and good, especially, you know, if you're unsure if this market's going to tank, you want to make sure to set your stop losses. That way you can rake in any profit and buy in at a lower price. That's always good to do. But if you're really smart, and if you're you're in this asset class for a longer amount of time, you'll just completely understand that holding Bitcoin uh, over the next five to seven years uh, is one of the smartest things that you can do. Um, and uh, constantly investing in it on a monthly basis and not worrying about the price so much, but more understanding why future price is going to be greater than the current price. Um, will will lead you to a lot more, you know, uh, you know, restful nights of sleep. <laughs> I think one of the things that a lot of people do not realize this year is that an ETF decision is going to get made one way or another, and uh, the fact that Van Eck uh, is on that uh, offensive to make that happen um, is is no coincidence. Um, they are probably the, uh, one company that I would put all my eggs in the basket of getting a Bitcoin ETF, uh, passed, you know, with the SEC. And, uh, this is very important, you know, for the space and for future crypto adoption. Uh, this is going to be the hallmark, uh, and probably the main catalyst leading into the having, if this happens here, uh, next month, or if it gets postponed to October, we'll see. But Gabor Gabrox of Vanek recently talked about where they're at and what they have uh, going into August when the next decision gets made. So take a listen to that as he discusses. Certainly. So uh, we are uh, Vanek. My company is lucky uh, to be in a position of being a private investment firm and a long history of building what one may call unconventional products or products that are early but uh, sought after at the time. So um, in, uh, you mentioned gold. In, in 1968, we built the uh, first gold equity fund in the U.S. And uh, the, uh, for, for the Bitcoin and crypto and gold fans and fans of Austrian economics, uh, the founder of our firm was a student of Ludwig von Mises. And, you know, we, we worked on the concept of hard money for, for from the 60s on and um, basically when when we launched the uh, first gold fund the, the, I think it took about six to seven years to get it approved and uh, we kind of went through a similar phase with like peer-to-peer lending some of the first emerging markets ETFs and 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 now sort of the the Bitcoin ETF at my firm we sort of believe that Bitcoin is digital gold and 
And you know, that might be, my background is in mathematics and I, I know for a fact that it may not be the best analogy uh, to, to, to bring, but you know, some people think about it uh, in such a way. And in fact, actually Bitcoin trades like one third of a store of value of gold and two thirds tax stocks today. But, uh, so on the, we thought, uh, so we partnered up with Sodex, a fintech firm, and, and, and the application is pretty much in for a physical uh, Bitcoin ETF for about four and a half years now in total. Uh, we've been working with Sodex for about two years, two and a half. Um, the, the hardest, so there, cert, there were certain things that we realized in the process that uh, they were missing from a market structure point of view. Uh, proper pricing of digital assets. Uh, then uh, we custody solutions and market manipulation related uh, uh, surveillance type of uh, projects. So we addressed um, the pricing issue working with Crypto Compare and our index subsidiary uh, MBIS and build market standard crypto indices. So if you guys want to uh, follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter, I'm happy to uh, share more information on that. And uh, we work with NASDAQ to um, to provide uh, market standard surveillance for spot trading platform platforms. And you know, some people might not, not like surveillance, but I think uh, light surveillance is appropriate for any uh, entity that is managing billions of dollars on behalf of their customers. So, uh, so that we checked out. And then uh, I think the final sort of outstanding problem is custody. Um, there are not, you know, the, the, the State Streets, the UBSs of the world are, are not, not in the market right now. Uh, and institutions prefer some kind of solutions that, that have insurance balance sheets, some kind of traditional entity backing it. And while it's, you know, longer term, I think, you know, Bitcoin and decentralization will win. Uh, I like to think that we should walk before we run to decentralization. So maybe kind of work with institutions uh, first and then uh, see if we can get ownerships uh, of assets back to the individuals. But yeah, we've we worked with the uh, SEC primarily in the US. Uh, the, you, the regulators, and you, you guys might not think so, think it, but they are actually very up to speed <laughs> on, on crypto. They spend, you know, at this point, somewhere between three to five years learning about the space from the best industry experts going to them, including us. And uh, so, so ultimately, um, we will, I believe that we're going to see a Bitcoin ETF uh, down the line. Uh, the custody landscape has to firm up before we do that. But I just wanted to point out that a lot of people talk about Tether and market manipulations being the biggest problem for this space. It's not the biggest problem because there is surveillance and in fact, uh, uh, if you, some of the crypto exchanges have stricter standards than banks in their sign-up process. They're just, right now, the, because the status of digital assets is unclear, so those who are dealing with digital assets often appear to be outside the law, and that's, that's the issue at crypto exchanges, and that's the issue with custody as well. So, again, we're working through all these issues, and I think you know, the fact that we are on a panel with some of the largest banks and, and discussing digital assets is definitely a good sign. Yeah, I think, it, it, I think just giving them time to work out everything uh, with the SEC, they have that partnership there with them. 
if the SEC is going to trust anybody, they're going to trust Van Eck before anybody else. Um, you know, and w- once we get backed in place as a, a custodial solution and a futures products uh, solution as well, too, you'll start seeing the SEC maybe let up. And I honestly, I hate to say this, but BitMEX um, now being under investigation with those quotes around it um, also does help, you know, see an ETF. Uh, possibly launching later this year. So we'll, we'll see how all this shakes out, but something to keep ahead on your calendar. And I'll do my best to do that as well too for y'all. But buying Bitcoin right now is the smart play. Um, but with that, we have to talk about future predictions as well too, because altcoins are going up today. Speculative token analysis. These are future predictions. All right. So as you as you might not know, but here on Saturday, uh, July 20th, 2019, as of 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, the coin market cap is at 298 billion. Um, alts have started to rise, and. Um, I am suspecting that uh, this is uh, going to lead to some interesting um, price gains for a lot of people here in the short term. It's just timing it well is going to be the hardest thing to do. Um, so there's one particular cryptocurrency I want to talk about. And uh, this cryptocurrency uh, is one that I have, uh, you know, I know people that are involved in it. So I will kind of let you know that ahead of time. Um, but it, it's also one that I clearly recognize as well, too, as an investment. Um, this is one that um, I think, I say think with a very, very, very strong um, kind of backing on it, that if there is going to be something that is going to replace a Bitcoin, and I know that's impossible, but if there is something that was going to replace it, and if there's something that people are already discussing about it, uh, it's going to be decred. And um, it pains me to say that just because I have a, a much of a, a you know affinity towards uh, Bitcoin. And I think it'll always be around as, as digital store, store, store value. And I don't think it's going to go away. But if there's something that's going to kind of, uh, you know, um, poke at it and, and, and try to... Um, clearly uh, make a case for itself from it's going to be decred and uh, it's no wonder you hear from a lot of uh, financial capital funds uh, in this space uh, talking about decred Uh, it's because they they know that um, decred holds uh, a tremendous amount of value just by the way it borrows from the bitcoins proof of work consensus mechanism but the only difference is that it combines it with uh, proof of stake system uh, which, uh, you know, that's always been a problem with Bitcoin. It's just how a governance is, is a function of it. And it's one of the main reasons why we have Ethereum moving over to a proof of stake system. But the Decred is much more of a futuristic approach to it. Um, and we've had Marco Paraboom on the show uh, last year, I believe it was. And we were talking about Bitcoin and we were talking about uh, why anybody would want to hold Decred and, and why it's important. And, you know, one of the main things that he said was that um, a lot of uh, investment funds were reaching out 
uh, and, and trying to acquire a, a large amount of decred. Uh, and I'm not sure why that was or, or what it is about, but um, make no mistake, I, I think they do realize that there's a very uh, smart group of people behind this project that are trying to make this hybrid system or this hybrid design uh, in a way when it comes to consensus power to token holders, um, as opposed to like a typical proof of work network. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to uh, position Decred to be this next big cryptocurrency. And it's one of the main reasons why it stays in the $22 or $29 range. Um, I think the only problem that I had Decred, and I've, I've expressed this in the past with, you know, just personal conversations I've had, you know, with Marco is just the, the pre-mine to it all. Um, you know, that, that's one thing that, you know, it's not an immaculate uh, conception as, you know, like like Bitcoin was or, well, well, technically, I mean, Satoshi did mine it. But you know what I'm saying? Like it, it, he went away. But there, there's Decred, you know, is not on the Zcash side where we were with Zcash. They had this big, massive pre-mine and, uh, you know, they go back and listen to the, the Zcash uh, inside um Inside protocols, Zcash episode, we talk about all that stuff. But uh, what's what's key here to realize is that they do have a pre-mine, and uh, the company behind it, Company Zero, who started uh, Decred, you know, they didn't, uh, you know, take too much. I guess is that something you could call it? Because just it is a dirty word, right? In respect to cryptocurrencies or, or tokens or anything like that. But uh, they took uh, they took a pre-mine consisting of, of like one point six eight million tokens which is 8% of the total future supply of 21 million. Um, half were distributed to Decred developers, which is good, you know, because it's a way to compensate them for their initial development work, and as they should, so they can, you know, carry lives, <laughs> right? Um, and they also had um, about half of those 840,000 tokens uh, uh, were, were, air, were airdropped to participants in an effort to jumpstart the network, both from, like, you know, of course, network effects, perspective to um, holders uh, required for the proof-of-stake element of Decred's uh, consensus algorithm. So it's not an immaculate conception just like Bitcoin, right? It, it, there is this pre-mine, and, and that is such a dirty word, but uh, it's not a, an erroneous or an exorbitant amount uh, to, to do this. This was literally done just so they could, you know, get this uh, project off the ground. So I will say that... Uh, if that is the only caveat to it, uh, I don't think that's going to hold it back from having a future, a future value of it. But I think that's going to hold it back from replacing Bitcoin. But do I see there being this big potential for Decred to gain a, a mass adoption and hold a tremendous amount of value? I do think there is, just because of the amount of investment funds currently buying up Decred, uh, on, you know, over the counter and um, and holding it. So just something that you guys should uh, be aware of and uh, I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't giving you these future predictions. You know, today was the first time I ever was kind of frightened by how little information there was for a particularly big event in crypto. Make no mistake, BACT is a big deal happening here this week. And uh, it took me by surprise that July 18th went unnoticed by a lot of people in this space and very little people were talking about it. Uh, that That's scary because this whole space relies on 
don't trust, but verify. And I think what we're seeing here in the short term is this kind of information getting uh, pushed back and so far back that regular retail investors like ourselves can't see what is happening below that submerged surface. But I will continue to be here and do my best to report on every single thing that happens within my radar. See you the next time.